Bibles. And um, we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 10. So back in the book of Genesis. And uh, we are going to be uh, continuing on uh, all the way through now, uh, Lord willing, unless we uh, don't, unless we uh, uh, run out of time for the summer. Uh, but we're going to continue on. We got 50 chapters uh, in the book of Genesis. And today uh, we're going to be looking at the Tower of Babel. Okay, so the story of the Tower of Babel. Uh, but the Tower of Babel is sandwiched between uh, two sets of genealogies in which they really play an important role. So just to kind of give us a roadmap of where we're going to be going, uh, Genesis 10 really gives us the results of the Tower of Babel, which is the scattering of Noah's descendants across the earth. Okay, And so that first genealogy is, it actually comes after the story of Babel. And then um, in Genesis 11, we're going to see through the line of Shem uh, that comes Abraham. And Abraham plays a really important role that Pastor Santo is going to get into in the next two weeks. um, Because God gives Abraham the covenant to bless all the nations of the earth. And so our text specifically, we'll be looking at the Tower of Babel. It's sandwiched between two important genealogies. As we saw, genealogies last week are very important in the Bible, even though we don't give a whole lot of time or attention to them. So, just a few introductory things, uh, but let's stand as we read God's Word, Genesis chapter 11, first uh, nine verses. First nine verses. Verse one. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar and for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city, which a tower with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Word of the Lord. Amen. You guys can take a seat. All right. Well, as we begin, I think it's pretty clear that ever since the fall, we have been trying to make a name for ourselves by being the best at something. And I don't mean this in a positive way, right? Um, So a lot of times we try to be the best at maybe whatever sport it is that we have. Maybe that's basketball or uh, maybe it's gymnastics or whatever it may be, or maybe it's our particular profession like a scientist or a business person or a lawyer or a political leader or whatever it may be. So whether it's in our schoolwork or our job or our hobby, or sport, or whatever we give 100% to, 
We all do this in one way or another. We want to make a name for ourselves. And again, I'm not talking about making a name for ourselves or giving it our all for the sake of glorifying God. That's a good thing. I'm talking about that innate desire inside of each one of us to make a name for ourselves, to be famous for something, for our own purposes, and for all really the wrong reasons. Maybe it's to be secure. Maybe it's to feel like we have meaning in our lives. Maybe it's to feel like we have purpose or that everything's going to be okay if we just make a name for ourselves. See, simply, we seek some way. All of us do it, maybe in different ways, but we all do it to make a name for ourselves, to excel in something so that we will be great in the eyes of the world. Somewhere deep down, we think that if we do, that is where the good life is. That's where the life that we've all been searching for is found. That in that life, there will be meaning and security and purpose. And that's what the story of Babel is all about, making a name for ourselves. But through this story of Babel, we're going to see that what sin scatters, Christ gathers. All right, so that's our main point this morning. What, Christ, or sorry, what sin scatters, Christ gathers. And as we begin looking at the story of Babel, we're going to see that in each one of us, one way or another, we struggle with the same kinds of things that the people did in the story of Babel. One way or another, you and I each struggle with these things. So first, let's look at the sinful desire to make a name for ourselves. So at this point, remember, in the book of Genesis, we've gone through the first creation, right? We've gone all the way up to the flood, and now we are at kind of what people call creation 2.0, okay? And so God has kind of remade the earth um, almost through uh, Noah and his family. He's given them the command to go out and to fill the earth, just like he gave the command to Noah. And that's what was going on. Noah's descendants were filling the earth and obeying God's command for at least a little while. And then in chapter 11, it says, verse 1, that the whole earth had one language. And so it seems that everything was going well, at least for a little while, right? They were, they were living according to God's commands. They were, they were filling the earth. They were subduing it once again. They were filling it with worshipers of God. That's what they were created to do. And yet, something happened again. In the land of Shinar, in a city called Babel, some people decided that what God had given them wasn't enough. They decided that what God gave them wasn't enough, and they had to build a city, and not only a city, but with a great tower. Verse 4 says, Then they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. See, since Genesis 3, we've seen over and over again how mankind is not satisfied with what God has given them. It's as if we're looking at God and saying, what you have and what you're giving is not enough. I need to go elsewhere to find what I want. Man continually believes that God is holding out on them. We've seen that time and time again already in the book of Genesis. 
Man believes that it's a, a dog-eat-dog world and that if he's going to survive, if she's going to survive, then I have to look out for number one. Instead of moving inside the safety of God-given boundaries, man is continually pushing outside of those boundaries, going past where God has said to stop, seeking to find that life, that security, that purpose that mankind wants. But is that what he finds? No. What he finds is the opposite. He finds destruction. He finds despair. He finds chaos as he pushes past those God-given boundaries. Like a dog that returns to his own vomit, mankind returns to it again and again and again, even though he knows that it's going to only bring death and destruction. It was the sinful struggle for the people in Noah's time. And you know what? It's the sinful struggle for you and I today. That desire for us to continually push past those boundaries that God has placed in our lives. Those boundaries that are for our good and for our safety. For our own happiness, even. And yet we say, God, that's not enough. But here in the story of Babel, we see really a few specific things worth noting. And the first one we've been talking about, that desire to make a name for ourselves. See, this is what the people of Babel wanted to do. They wanted to make a name for themselves. Somehow they wanted to be distinguished or set apart from the rest of the people on earth. Notice yet again, that's kind of flipping the script that God wrote. Remember back in Genesis 1, what did God say? God said, let us make man in our own image. But now what does man say? Come, let us build a city for ourselves with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Man flips the script once again. And this is a community project focused on self and self-centered gain. And ironically, they already had a wonderful name being created in the image of God. They had the name of God's children and that they thought that that name wasn't enough. It's kind of like maybe for the parents in here, when, when your kid's growing up, you give them a name when they're born, right? And then eventually, at some point or another, they're probably just gonna say, I don't like this name, I want another name, right? My son, Caleb, just did that. He said, you know what, I don't like Caleb. I wanna be called this or I wanna be called that. And that's kind of a silly example, but in the same way, we do that, right? We say, no, no, God, I don't want what you want for me. I want something else. I want what I want. This same sinful spirit lives inside of all of us. Have you ever thought about the great lengths people go to? That when they are dead and gone, they will be remembered. Think about this. For example, people give unbelievable amounts of money to college endowments to get a, maybe a building named after them on campus so that their name will go on forever even though they have a short life. That's until the next donor comes and gives even more money for that same building. Or, for example, people try to conquer peoples and countries to expand their empire, to extend it so that the sun will never set on their empire. Recently, I was listening to a, a history CD with my kids, and empire after empire. What did the rulers want? They wanted it just a little bit bigger than the one before them. 
And yet what happened? Empires rise and empires fall. The names are forgotten in history. Or another example is that people try to break records in their sport to be remembered as maybe the top point guard or top running back or top whatever. That is until their record is broken by the next young rookie who comes along with greater talent and greater skill. I think you get the picture. The same drive is out there, is in you and me. We want to make a name for ourselves. My question is, why do we want to make a name for ourselves? Why is it so important that our name would be remembered when we are not here anymore? Well, I think one of the answers is here in our text. And really, it's the motive of fear. Let's look at verse 4 again. What do the people say? Lest we be scattered or dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Think about that phrase for a minute. Why did the people of Babel build this great city and this great tower? Well, one reason, one big reason is because they were scared. They were fearful. They took that phrase, strength in numbers, and ran with it in the worst possible way. They were saying that if we can just band together, if we can just kind of pool all of our resources, if we can build this great city, we are going to be okay. We're going to be secure. Our name will live forever. They were scared of being scattered, scared of being destroyed. And yet, as many have pointed out, there's some great irony here. What did God tell mankind to do in Genesis chapter 1 and 2? He told them to scatter. Think about the irony here. They say, no, God, I don't want to scatter. My life security, the, the, the good life for me is found right here. And as we pool together, as we stand together, we'll be okay. And yet that's not what God commanded them to do. God commanded them to scatter, to multiply, to fill the earth with lovers and worshipers of God. That was their commandment. That was their, their plan. And that's what God would eventually do. And yet the people in Babel feared this so much that they said no. They said no, God, that's not what we're going to do. We're not going to be scattered over all the earth. We're going to stay right here. And in their fear, they bucked against the very thing that God told them to do for their joy, for their security, for their purpose, for that satisfying life that they so desired. He wasn't going to leave them out to dry. That's not the way that God does things, right? He was taking care of his people. He showed that from the beginning of time, that he would take care of his people, that he would be their God. And they would be his people. And yet that's not what happened here in the story of Babel. And I think there's something for us to learn here. See, our fear tells us that God is not on our side. Our fear tells us that he doesn't care. Your fear and my fear tells us that what God wants that is best is not best for us. That we have to go out and to make a name for ourselves. We have to go out and protect ourselves. We have to go out and provide for ourselves. Because God's not going to do it. Our fear makes us do crazy 
things. Our fear tells us that we need to go out and to make a name for ourselves. Because the name that God gave us is not enough. Do you see the destruction that fear brings in our life? The destruction that fear brought in Babel? This was supposed to be God's people. And yet because of their fear, they rejected God. And they ran the other way. And our fear does the very same thing. When we allow our fear to rule the day, it actually ends up destroying our life. Destroying our happiness. Destroying our sense of purpose and security. And we take the lie. And like all lies, they seem good at first. But once we take that lie in, it ends up destroying. Sometimes I, I like to use the analogy of McDonald's, right? And I know this is kind of a funny example, but McDonald's, to me, at first, at first look, it looks good, right? I love to go there, and I get my, my Big Mac, whatever it may be, and, and from the outside, it looks great. But then once I eat it, it's not very good, right? It messes me up, right? And so it's kind of, I say sin, sin is kind of like McDonald's, right? And I know McDonald's doesn't probably want me to say this, but it, you look at it at first, and it looks great. And then you eat it, and it's like, oh, man, I made a terrible decision. Sin is the same way. It looks good on the outside. Looks very appealing, very attractive. The devil dresses it up as something that we should go after. And yet when we do, it screws up our life. Brings us to our second point, the consequences of doing this. Look again at verses 5 through 9. The Lord God came down to see the city and the tower which the people, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. This is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go and confuse their language. What does God do here? In an attempt to protect them from themselves, he brings his discipline. He brings his judgment. Instead of bringing the sword, maybe of a foreign army, or instead of bringing famine to them as their discipline, what does he do? He confuses their language. At one point, there was one language. Where all the people of the world spoke and now they would be dispersed. Unable to communicate with one another, they leave off building the tower and the city. Like a city that runs out of money and leaves buildings half built. That's what was going on here in the city of Babel. They couldn't communicate with one another. They couldn't understand one another. And so they stopped building and they dispersed into their own little communities. But what's interesting here is that finally, through God's discipline, the people scatter like they were supposed to. Here we see, as one commentator says, it's a sad description of a fracture of a community, of a breakdown of fellowship, of a failure in communication, of a growth in isolation and confusion. It all results from a communal failure to live in dependence upon God. See, Babel here is just like any other city throughout all of human history. In fact, Babel would be seen as kind of the prototypical city of sin. 
That city that sets itself up against God. It's also called Babylon. And we see, even in Revelation, that Babylon is the great city set itself against God. A city that's dependent upon itself rather than dependent upon God. And throughout history, this has proven true time and time again in cities and in kingdoms, in political organizations, in churches, or whatever that sets itself up against God, trying to live outside of God's boundaries for us. And the consequences are devastating. You know, it's ironic that a city which set out to give its own name for itself is remembered in the Bible by the name of Babel, which is a city of confusion. Babel set out to make this great name for itself. Babel is actually translated the gate of the gods. And yet, what is it remembered as? A city of confusion. Ironic. But like many times in the Bible, discipline leads to restoration and hope. Right? As God's people, we have to view discipline that way. Just like a parent disciplines his child for the purpose of restoration, for the purpose of change, so God disciplines us. And we see that in uh, our third and final point, which is the work of Christ to reverse it all. The work of Christ to reverse it all. See, if you'll allow me for a few moments, I want to take a look at the story of Babel in light of all of the story of Scripture. Okay, we have to do that in order to see what hope there is. How Christ reverses what happens in Babel could really be an awesome sermon series because in each stage of the story of redemption, we see more and more of the reverse of what happened here in Babel. What we saw at Babel was a, a simple defiance of God and it led to a scattering of the people all over the earth. But that's not the end of the story. The story continues on because there is hope. There is hope because God is on the throne. He's the one writing the story. So we've seen already that in God's initial discipline of Babel and the people there in Babel, they scattered. And that was what God wanted for them in the very beginning, right? Fill the earth. Go and fill the earth. Have babies. Make families. Make worshipers of God to spread and to fill the earth. That was God's original command. And through discipline, God started to do this. But if we fast forward into the New Testament, for example, think about Acts chapter 2. What's in Acts chapter 2? Does anybody know? Pentecost. Pentecost, right? What does Pentecost mean for Babel? See, at one point... At this point in time, Christ has already come, right? He was born. We just celebrated that at Christmas. He's lived that perfect life that you and I can never live. He died the death that each of us deserved. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And he gave his Holy Spirit to his followers. But Pentecost is where the Holy Spirit fell and something particular happened. You remember, you remember what happened as the Holy Spirit filled the disciples. What happened to the, Holy, the, the disciples 
as the Holy Spirit filled them, they began to speak in what? Many tongues, different languages. Very interesting, right? There's a diverse group of people there inside Jerusalem, and each of those people are hearing the good news of the gospel in their native tongue. Verse 11 says, We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Some people thought they were drunk, right? That, nah, those people are drunk. Don't pay attention to them. But Peter said not so. He stands up and gives a great sermon where he declares the work of God all the way from the Old Testament to the New and the work of Jesus Christ in the Gospel. And many believe. So what does this have to do with the reverse of, Pente or reverse of Babel? Listen to one commentator. He says this, Pentecost opened a new chapter of the story of Babel in the articulating of the one Gospel in many tongues. See, another way to say this is what sin scattered, Christ in his gospel gathers. Not unity in fear, like in Babel, but unity in diversity in Christ. That's really important for us to see. See, what the people of Babel tried to do was they said, we are going to be unified and not diverse. But God wanted them to be diverse. He wanted them to fill the earth all over the earth. To scatter. And what he does at Pentecost is begin to reverse this by bringing all that diversity, ethnically, language-wise, bringing it together under Christ. But if we fast forward in the Bible story, once again, we look to the book of Revelation. When we look forward to Christ returning, and we see really the final and definitive reverse of Babel. How is this so? Well, in the book of Revelation, John's heavenly vision gives us a glimpse of what heaven will look like. It will be made up of, as we, we, we start our service, of every tribe, tongue, and nation. See, Jesus didn't just go out to save one ethnic group. He went to save a diverse bride, a diverse people from every tribe, tongue, and language. And what does he do in glory? He brings this church all together. Diversity in unity. And unity in diversity under Jesus Christ. We see the reverse of the awful effects of Babylon. And at the end of Revelation, we see the city of God, the new Jerusalem. And John puts it this way. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. What do we see here? We see the exact opposite of Babel. What Babel in sinful defiance tried to do, we see the exact opposite as Christ ushers in his kingdom. Instead of man's name being famous, only God's name is famous in the end. His name will live forever and forever. And we will give testimony to that. We will be in that right place where we don't try to make a name for ourselves, but we only ever try to glorify his name. 
to lift his name up, to say how great he is. Instead of a city built on fear and insecurity, it will be a city of freedom and a city of security. Instead of a city of confusion and discord, it will be of a city in unity and diversity. You see how battle is reversed throughout the whole of the Bible story? And we just picked out two parts of that Bible story. You see that the good news of the gospel, at least in part, is that Babel will be reversed in Christ. And that was God's plan all along. We know that nothing can thwart God's plan. Not even sinful man trying to build a tower to protect themselves and make a name for themselves. Nothing can thwart God's plan. You know, now it may not look like that heavenly city. We look like around in our own city as we just pray for Atlantic City. And we know that it doesn't look like the city of God that is to come. And yet we also know that God will continue to make good on his promises. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. That God made a promise and he kept the promise. We celebrate that now and then until his return. That God keeps his promises to you and to me. He will reverse battle. And we are waiting for that day when he will bring that new heavens and that new earth. That you and I will live on with him forever. And that's good news. But as we come to a close, I want to mention one more thing. You've noticed that Pastor Santo and I continually look towards the New Testament as we're going through the book of Genesis. And really you have to do that in order to understand Genesis the right way. Right? We go from the story in Genesis and we look forward. We keep going forward to Christ and how to understand it. Even in Genesis itself, though, we see the seeds of hope and promise. We see those seeds of grace and mercy. And one of those comes at the end of our passage here in chapter 11 this morning. Look with me at the end of chapter 11. We are introduced to the character of Abram, or who will be called Abraham. See, at the end of the Tower of Babel incident, once again, we see that you and I are left with questions as the readers. Would the world continue to decay and go downhill just like before the flood? Would there be any hope for mankind? Would God continue to make good on his promises? Would they ever come true? What would happen to that mandate to fill the earth with worshipers of the one true God? What would happen? But we but remember, as soon as we will see, we will still sorry, as as we will see soon see that it is through Abraham that God makes a special covenant. See, we see these seeds of hope even in the beginning of the book of Genesis. That God makes a special covenant with Abraham to what? To bless all the nations of the earth. That through your family. The gospel will go forth to the ends of the earth. So we see here, even in Genesis, as next time Pastor Santa preaches, the story of Abram, that God is beginning to fulfill his promise to reverse Babel. We see that even in the book of Genesis. We don't have to go forward to the New Testament. 
Because through that promise, he will bless the nations that will be brought together through the work of Jesus Christ. So this morning, hopefully we've seen in this story of Babel, just a good example for us, yet again, that God keeps his promises to you and to me, to his people. That what sin messes up, God fixes through Christ. What sin scatters, Christ gathers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, your word is a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet. God, we thank you that you um, put us in places where we can hear your word clearly taught and explained. God, but we also want to be a people that listen to your word and obey your word. And so, God, we pray that you would search our hearts. God, that you would show us the places where maybe we're trying to make sinfully a name for ourselves. But we're saying, God, what you give, what you give is not enough. What you have planned for me, I don't want to do. Maybe we need to come to a place of repentance this morning, God. And so I pray that you would work in us. God, that you would show us the effects of when we try to go the opposite way of you. Father, I pray that you would also encourage us with the hope of Jesus. That we, as we saw through the Bible, that you reverse the curse of Babel through Jesus. And Lord, that you would help us to hold on to those promises. That you will once, one day come again. That you will reverse this, this awful, messed up, sinful world. That Babel's just a little microcosm of. God, I pray that you would help us to long for that day more and more. And Lord, that we would look forward to that. That you would help us to keep our hand to the plow as we await your return. And Lord, that you would continue to use us each and every day where we are. To build your kingdom, to fill the earth with worshipers of God. However you want to use us, God, here we are. Our lives are yours. And so once again, as we look forward to this new year, we pray, God, that you would use us however you want to use us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.